0: Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Welcome back. How awesome is it to be back? Welcome back, those online. Oh, this has been a crazy season. Global pandemic. I sort of enjoy the fact that I don't think that there's anyone alive who has had to lead a church out of a global pandemic and a global lockdown. It means there's so much grace. In all truth, Pastor Emma and I do want to say to everyone that uh, thank you for the grace and encouragement shown towards us and the leadership team as we've uh, had to navigate what this has been a challenging or often challenging season. Um. We know that many have registered for our weekend services and many still have chosen to remain at home for health reasons or just to remain cautious. Uh, But wherever you've chosen to be right now, uh, our hopes and our prayers are that God is uh, on the forefront of your mind, that you think about what he's doing in your life. We pray for you continually, that God would lead and bless and anoint you in all that you are doing. Um, It is... In seasons like this, where the unknown seems to be constantly rearing its head in every form and fashion, that as believers and as Christians and as followers of Christ, we should not be swayed by the insecurities of this world. Because we have the eternal in, uh, the security in Christ. It's just that, that anchor that, that we have that should stabilize us. I love that in all of what has gone on right 2020 has been a crazy year. We were in Australia in January this year, and because of the fires, a whole continent burning down, um, it was pretty much locked down there. And then we came back for a month, and then the, the pandemic hit, and it was like I've been locked down for five months out of the six that we have had this year. I'm like between Australia and then the pandemic. And then, and then we're seeing all the racial divisions finally come to a surface and the world having to talk about what has been an issue concurrently throughout human or humanity's you know, existence on earth and, and watching them try to fix and deal with this without the gospel, without what Jesus has said about it has been interesting, but also seeing the church's response um, and just the conversations that are taking place Um, we live right now in probably the craziest year that we've seen for decades. And I honestly believe as Christians, we should be thriving in this season, not because we take great joy in pain or hurt, but we take great joy in knowing that we have our Jesus to help sustain and guide and direct and that He brings purpose, not this world. And so today, you know, Pastor Aaron and I, we've been talking, what should we call today's message. If you're taking notes here, if you're taking notes online, Pastor Emma said this should be the title of the message. I agree. And the title is The Purpose of the Party. The Purpose of the Party. See, the concept of purpose, I find a fascinating one. I don't know if you've thought about it a lot. We use it in our, our lexicon quite regularly here at Avant Life. But you'd see that that's something that the church uses quite regularly. I believe every human being is innately endowed with this desire to achieve a purpose. Now, we're not talking about, you know, normative purposes or collective social purposes, but rather specific, custom-made, uniquely designed for your shape purposes. And why do we know that as believers that this is an important thing? Well, Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10, "'For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works.'" which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. God prepared beforehand. He did not just make this up on the run. He's not making this up like a politician would. He's not doing policy on the run right now. He's not looking at your life and going, okay, well, all right, let's just try, your purpose is now this. The Bible says that he took great care. We're his workmanship Workmanship is not something that is carelessly or frivolously just thrown out there. Workmanship means you have some form of pride and value and worth in what you are doing. The Bible says that he's done all these things when he created us. Before you were a twinkle in your parents' eyes, he formed and fashioned your purpose. And we should take great comfort in this. The Bible says that we should walk in them. We should walk in these purposes. Should. It doesn't say would. Would pretty interesting it doesn't say that we would walk in them it said we should it tells us we have a choice we have a decision to make we actually have this decision to make each and every day when we wake up we're to get up and decide am I going to walk in the purposes that Christ has given me in my life or am I going to choose the path more commonly traveled the wider road and do my own thing The Bible tells us that narrow is that road. Few walk this road, which is interesting, right? Because I often look at that scripture verse and go, all right, we could take that whole understanding that, that, that narrow is the road and it's just unbelievers that take the highway to hell. But there's a problem here because we live in a world of almost 8 billion people. Over 2 billion people would say that they're a Christian which tells me that that's that's a that's a pretty high number of people 2 billion people identify as a believer in Christ that's a huge number of people and the more you you know you search scripture you realize it's actually talking less about those who don't believe and it's talking to those who do believe so the question is here is Jesus actually saying many Christians think they know the purpose but are living for themselves and are still stuck on the highway in the wrong direction. Therefore they they're lukewarm. You got to know the purpose of the party. See I look at that whole concept like the the, the there's a key here. Just like a key is fashioned, this is interesting. Like right? just like a key is fashioned for a particular lock to unlock it, so is your purpose fashioned to unlock the godly potential written into your life. The godly potential is not something that that will come to pass and be created the moment you find your purpose. Your godly potential has been created prior to your creation. You've got to begin to find Christ in yourself so those keys that are fashioned in you begin to unlock this purpose. And I know we use the word, like honestly, when you have a conversation with a non-believer and we discuss many things in the Bible, and I don't even know if you've had a heated debate about the things in the gospel or the word of God with someone who doesn't believe. And you can argue to and fro about a lot of things. But until, when you come to the concept of purpose, there's commonality here. Because purpose, even for a person who's seeking or someone who's rejected the message of Christ or those who are just, uh, you know, living their own life, under their own desires, the concept of purpose is still supernatural. It's not defined by some scientific, biological thing. That's that's interesting, right? Because we look at just the shifts and changes in generations. Like I'm a millennial, like smack bang in the middle, born and bred millennial. Our generation was told that there's no longer first, second or third, that we are all winners, that the participation award is more important than the actual achievement award. You tried. That we are all winners because we, were all, we all won the initial race of life and got to the egg first. You came into this world a winner. But then I'm like, then we peaked at birth. That's my generation, and I look at this because it frazzles the concept of purpose. But even in millennials, we would know, doesn't matter what is thrown our way ideologically or any of that, that purpose is still something supernatural. We're told that no matter who you are genetically, you can achieve anything you put your mind to, which is, I honestly believe, one of the greatest lies sold to humanity, but that's not true. But when it comes to purpose, we all stop and think. And it's such a connecting point. Actually, if you have a discussion with somebody about the gospel, take the route of purpose. You'll be way more effective. If you're to Google purpose and try to find the meaning, it'll come up like this. Purpose means this, the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. That's what purpose is. And today, like I said, we're speaking in the purpose of the party. Why does the party exist? What has happened or been done that the party is now indicative of? What has been created that gives reason for a party? Yeah, I know you're all sitting there right now going, well, no, Pastor Ben, I like the party. All I can think of right now is the movie Hot Rod. My name is Pastor Ben, and I like to party. <laughs> but you're probably also sitting there thinking, "What? what is Pastor Ben going on about? Yes, we need to find a purpose in the party. Yes, it, yep, yep, yep. When somebody is born, we celebrate their birthday. What's the purpose of a birthday party? to celebrate someone's life. That's the purpose of a birthday party. When somebody graduates from high school, we celebrate that they achieve their diploma, that there's an end of a season and the beginning of a next. We celebrate a season of work. When two people, a man and a woman come together and become one natured and get married, what are we celebrating? We're celebrating their unity. They're coming together, the unity, the unison, the covenant under God. That's what we celebrate. But have you ever been somewhere where the purpose of a party has shifted, and all of a sudden it's weird? Like, you don't have to put your hand up. That's okay. But I know I've been alive long enough to have gone to the, like a birthday party where the person who's, who's not actually having the birthday comes and they hijack the, that party and, and they spend their whole time talking about what's wrong in their life and what someone's done wrong to them. And they bring this like... <laughs> you're just like, oh We've come to celebrate someone's life and you've sort of lost the purpose of the party. Not that what you're going through is insignificant, but you've used the wrong moment... And you've hijacked something, and you've lost purpose in this moment, and now it feels weird. It happens. I'm going to case in point. I'm going to read you a story. Because when we lose sight of the purpose of a party, it gets weird. It gets off-putting, but it can get offensive. Honestly, it can get offensive. Let me read it for you. It says this. It's just an article that was written. There are very many wonderful places. To propose, like the scene of your first date, at a fancy dinner, that'd be nice, or on a romantic trip. One place that I would not recommend popping the question, however, is at someone else's wedding. This is exactly what happened when one man decided that was a great idea. A woman wrote into an advice column, and she wrote the columns called Dear Prudence, Last week, to ask for advice after her husband's best friend, who was serving as best man and officiant at their wedding, decided to propose to his girlfriend at the wedding ceremony. He also dropped the bomb that they were expecting a child together. The writer said the news caused such a commotion that she couldn't even hear the vows she and her husband wrote for each other. Later, the best man gave a toast where he talked about his girlfriend and even requested they have a special dance together during the wedding. This is what we are talking about when we lose the purpose of the party. And I'm not preaching about this from this wedding, but, but you look at that, that, is, that, is, that. We don't like that story, right? Someone, I hope no one online's like, that was me. <laughs> if that was you, that's bad form. You've lost sight of why people were partying. Why were they celebrating? They didn't come so that you could propose to your girlfriend. They came to see two other people come together. You see, one thing I love about Christians is that we always find a good reason to celebrate. Like, we love to celebrate, especially Pentecostals. Y'all don't have to do much to get us going. You can come to church and say, I've got a brand new pair of shoes. and Next minute, we're like, sweet, midday, party at the park, let's go. Let's celebrate you. Everyone bring your new shoes. Come on. Like, we got the, the lines on the car park put in. We sowed new seeds for the grass. Man, that stuff gets, yeah, I can celebrate that. I can be like, all right, let's stop church right now. Let's thank God for the car park lines. Let's dance a bit. Come on. You don't have to do much, especially in this church, to get people going. We love to party, we love to celebrate. Jesus loved to party. He loved to be with people and celebrate. The Bible is filled with the concept of celebrating and feasting and enjoying one another's company. But it never negates the purpose. There was always a purpose. Jesus' first miracle is at a party, but there was a purpose to his miracle. There was a purpose to that party. He never lost sight of what the purpose was. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be sharing from a parable that Jesus teaches about, and it's in Matthew 25, and I'm going to read it to you. It says this, verse 1, at the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Verse 5 says this. The bridegroom was a long time coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Verse 9. No, they replied. They may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the doors were shut. Verse 11 says this. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. I look at this parable that Christ speaks about here, and I can't help but focus on the world that we currently live in when it comes to, I'm not talking about the secular world, I'm talking about the Christian world. There has been, and, and I appreciate it, but at the same time, I also see, uh, you know, ongoing issues with this concept where everyone lives by this, this unending, open ended, absolutely applicable concept of grace. And don't get me wrong, the Bible says it's, it's grace efficient, but it doesn't say that we should treat grace like a license to do whatever we want. Grace has a purpose in our life, it is to empower the transformation. Death to life, it is to help us understand that as we walk out our calling and walk out our purpose, that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. There is grace and it's abundant. And there's grace for the abuses of grace, but at the end of the day, we weren't called to live simply in the license of grace where we can, oh, I can do whatever I want and I'll just come back. You can, but you're missing something. And, and, and in saying that, we don't want the pendulum to swing all the way to the other side where we're living this religious, unrelational walk of faith that becomes legalistic. See, there, there's something in between. There's a balance there between legalism and license. The Bible says that Moses brought the law, but Jesus brought truth and grace. This is the tension that John is writing about. This is the tension here. Truth being the prophetic voice that echoes out, not not a crystal ball prophetic voice, but a directional one, a guiding one, one that would also be rod and staff. And then you've got the grace voice, which is the evangelistic voice, the one that cries out, hey, it's not by your works, it's not by your deeds, this is a gift given freely, come to me. There's a a balance and a tension here that Jesus brought. The Bible says that he didn't get rid of the law, but he fulfilled it. In many ways, he made the law applicable more to the spiritual realms of our life and less to the physical realms of our life. Because he says that whatever happens in the spiritual should dictate the physical. Not what, But we live in the physical and we negate the spiritual. We don't feed the spirit man or woman. We don't prioritize it. We don't realize that our purpose is found in and through operating in it. What we do is we birth things from the flesh and then we try to sustain it in the flesh. And there's only two ways you can sustain something in the flesh. And that is either living by a legalistic mindset or living by a completely licensed mindset but in the spirit, there is a perfect balance between truth and grace. And that's where we are to live. That is where our purpose is found. And we read this story and I look at this and I go, wow, Jesus is not speaking to the unbeliever. He's speaking to the believer. Those 10 virgins are believers in this parable. The bridegroom is Christ. This is Jesus depicting a very traditional Galilean wedding. I'll give you some historical context. This is what would generically happen. If I, being a young man, was interested in a young woman and a proposal needed to be made, I would go to my lovely-to-be bride and I would make the proposal and there would be the, the changing of agreements and the shifting of dowries. But if it was agreed upon, the bride's like, you know what? Bought a hunk of spunk. Yep, I'm going to have him. And that was like all good. I would, as, the, as the, the bridegroom, have to go back to my father's house. And at my father's house, I would have to spend time building an, an annex to his house, additional space to his house, so that my wife and I could live there. My bride and I could come home to a banquet and then live there. It was very family oriented culture. And so I'd spend my time building this room, this annexure to my parents, my father's house. And then my father would come and he would expect it. He would look at it and he would go, okay, you need to fix it here. or It needs to look this way. or It's perfect as it is and it's ready. And then based on my father's decision, he will send me out to go collect my bride. Not my own, but my father would go, okay, the time has come. The room is built. It is ready. Go collect your bride. Jesus says before he leaves this earth that he has to go to his father's house and do what? Prepare a room for us. This is how we know Jesus in this parable is talking of himself as the bridegroom. I need to go and prepare a room for you. But then he says, hey, you've got to be ready. This is the 10 virgins. See, what would happen is, while the bridegroom is preparing what he needs to do, there would become a particular time that they knew it was getting close. And these 10 virgins, these these bridesmaids style people, they represent us to a degree. They would wait with their lamps. See, because when the bridegroom, then that sound was made, it's time. If you join the bridegroom, if you were ready, if you had your lamps burning, this would indicate that you weren't just some gate crasher, some party crasher, that you weren't some, some just person coming to cause grief. You were a part of the procession. And so you needed to have your lamp, but it could happen at any hour because the father made the decision, not the groom. And so they would wait and then they would join the groom and they would go collect the bride together and then they would go back in to the banquet. This is how it worked. This is how, if you had the invitation, you knew to be ready, you knew to be prepared. There was a purpose for you to be there as well. And so the Bible says that these 10 virgins come out and they're waiting as the hour is drawing near they're not sure exactly when the hour is but they know it's drawing near and they go out five of them bring just their lamps but the other five bring additional oil and there's a reason for this see the ones that were foolish just brought their lamps because they just thought about the immediate they just thought about let's have the party while we're waiting let's just live for the now but the five that brought the extra oil realized that their job wasn't to party in the street waiting for the bridegroom. Their job was to have the party ready to go to the banquet. So and that's not to say they weren't ready to have fun. Yeah, they, they, it was, they, they were there. It was great. But they had prepared realizing the real purpose wasn't just for the now. It was for what was to come. They lived for what was to come. The Bible says they brought extra oil. The lamps that you're looking like, honestly, I know you're thinking right now, probably one of those those gas lamps that we use. Or, well, honestly, it was it was a pretty crude looking thing. It's just this this clay pot with a with a a, a rag in it that would absorb the oil up, and it would burn. Now, there could be it could depending on how rich you were or where you, you know where you were in society that could look a change or shift. But what you would do is, is that you would light the oil and the oil would mostly burn. But the lower you got in oil, more the more the cloth would burn. And so the Bible says they fall asleep, and when they wake up because the bridegroom is you know the sound goes out, they trim their cloth back, they refill the oil, and they get the burn going again. But the the, the virgins who didn't have the extra oil, they couldn't relight the lamp. That's why they're so desperate. You think about the image right now. They're not, they would be so desperate. Hey, can we please have some of your oil? So they're like, well, no, if we give that to you, we both will risk not having enough to enter into the banquet. There's some truths that we need to take away today. Sometimes they're hard to swallow, sometimes in our current society and our social outlook we don't like to think about this. And like I've mentioned before, because there's this pervasive or almost invasive concept that everything in this world revolves and exists for you. Therefore, how dare Christ speak about something that actually requires you to be intentional to the point that you could lose something. These festivals would go on for days in the groom's, the groom's house. It was a big party. The imagery here, and it's simple, the overall easy image that Christ is saying is simply this. Hey, don't live your Christian life, don't live your faith journey, just partying until you've lost the purpose of the party because there's going to come a time when I return. There's going to come a time where you're going to face death and have to step into eternity and are you ready for that? Have you lived a life for that? Have you lived with that eternal perspective or have you, have you simply lived for the earthly pleasures of today? He's not talking to the unbeliever, he's talking to the Christian. And this is really important because as a church, I want to know that we're living with purpose for the party. We should be a body of people, a group of believers that know how to celebrate. It's one of the most attractive things about the church is that we know how to celebrate, but what we celebrate defines us. See, what you celebrate, you normalize. So if you're celebrating all these things that are ungodly, by the way, what you interact with, what you choose to think is awesome. You know, Ravi Zacharias said something, it freaks me out. He says he often, he often looked at somebody and made decisions of their character based on what they laughed at. What they celebrated. What they partied about. And, and, his, and his truth is found in the Bible. What are we... Celebrating because what we celebrate, what we party about, we normalize in our life. This world is constantly wanting to celebrate everything, but Christianity. That's how the Bible describes what our persecution will look like. We celebrate it, or oh, you want to be, you want to, you know, oh, you're a fridge now, cool. You can be a fridge. We celebrate that. Oh, I see. You don't like what I do. Or, you know, you want to you wanna tell me that this has to be this way and that way. And everyone celebrates it. And therefore, I'm going to celebrate it with you because I don't want to be left out. I don't want to be isolated. I don't want to be alone. And now all of a sudden, what that, something that is not godly, that has been put before me out of fear, I've chosen to celebrate and party it. And now I normalize it in my life. This is the fight of, the, of a Christian. This is the fight of a believer. What I love about my faith is that I do not determine my, my own morality. My morality is determined by the word of God. For those of you who are like, you know, well, that's nice. Honestly, there is security in the fact that, that the 33 years I've been alive is not determining the morality in my life. Moral is just what is right and wrong. The ethics of how we get there is defined by God. The definition of ethics is how do we decide what is right and wrong? As believers, we don't decide what is right and wrong. The word of God has decided it for us. We must stand true to this. This is the consistency of our faith. The world goes in circles all the time. To think that what the world is going through now has not been felt on the face of the planet before is a joke. The Bible has come uh, for thousands of years up against people who don't believe in it, who don't want to respect it, don't want to see anything up ahead of it influence any part of society, and it has still stood the test of time because it is living, it is breathing, and it is life-changing. I am so glad that my life is not defined by somebody else who's only lived for the last 50 years who thinks because they did a university degree that they can determine my morality. My morality is determined by the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one that worked in me before I was born. It is not determined by the flesh, but by something far greater, and we should be proud of that. We should be confident in that. We shouldn't be running and fleeing because we might be isolated or rejected or dejected by society. Time will tell the fruits of our labor, and it is not, ins- our generation is the first generation that thinks that our legacy is something we get to inherit. That is a stupid notion. What we do today on earth, what we do with our life is not for us. It's for the generations to come. And if all I see is Christians taking the lamp and never bringing the oil, what is happening? Less people are getting to the banquet. More people are thinking that, oh, you don't have to bring oil. Why? Because somehow our faith and morality is so that we could live the party for today. What is the purpose of our party? There is a lot of scripture verses here that would challenge how we go about living our life. But the virgins without oil simply represent the false believers who enjoy the benefits of the Christian community without the true love of Christ. That's who they are. See, also found in this imagery, and I'll ask the worship team to come, is that oil and the flame of the lamp the Bible says that Jesus wasn't anointed. He is the anointed. He is the source of the anointing. It also says where the anointing is, the Holy Spirit is summonsed. Like you can, you can build your house on that. You can build your stocks on knowing that if you have the anointing of Christ, the Holy Spirit will be summoned and follow. The Bible says here that, that there's this oil in the lamp The flame is the Holy Spirit that burns of the anointing of Christ. A lot of people say yes to Jesus, that's just the initial lamp, but they don't live their life creating the oil to come. Don't live their life with a purpose or the sustenance of Christ. And what happens is, is that their initial encounter with Christ, they go back to living as a slave in their own ways and doing their own fleshly desires. The Bible says, you know, if the believers of this world return from their wicked ways... I'll heal their land. I'll hear from heaven and I'll come down and I'll restore and I'll mend. And when I was a child, I used to think wicked like a wicked witch. You know, if Christians, I was like, well, Christians walking around like wicked witches. But wicked just actually means in the Old Testament to live by one's flesh. It says, if my people called by my name would stop living according to their flesh, would humble themselves, I'd hear from heaven. I'll incline my ear and I will pour out and I'll hear their land. The onus of hope is not on the unbeliever. The onus of health and restoration is not on the unbeliever. It's on the Christian. It's on the follower of Christ. Yet so many of us, we say yes to Christ, but we are caught back doing what we were doing. And then all of a sudden, the purpose of the party is no longer to see people encounter Christ. The purpose of the party is no longer to bring hope. The purpose of the party simply becomes social. One of the things that the pandemic really did was allow us to confront why do we come to church on Sunday? What is Sunday to us? Because all of us, we live, we work, we rest, we eat, and every once in a while we have leisure activities. Everyone say that, leisure activities. We work so hard and then we eat and some of us live for food and then we rest and we repeat and then we have leisure activities. These leisure activities, we often see Christians put church into that bracket, that church is, their walk with Christ is, their outworking of their purpose is, their leisure activities. And I want to tell you right now that that you're following Christ, your belief in Jesus, all these things aren't based on work. They're not based on what you eat. They're not based on your rest. They're not based on your leisure activities. It is what you do in these situations that are the outworking of your faith. So where you work should have the lens of Christ. What you consume should have the lens of Christ. Not just food, but social material, intellectual material, ideological material should have the lens of Christ. How you rest, are you resting in your faith? Are you resting in Christ? The Bible says that Christ, in the middle of the storm, because he had great faith, could sleep in the boat. Are you resting? Church is not your leisure activity. That's when we come together and we stir our faith and we summons the presence of God and we collectively ask, hey, your word says that if two of us are gathered, there's no difference between two and 10,000. I love that. But our spirits, the unification, the coming together as one body, he'd be present for the party. He would bring the purpose to the party. When you go to your life group, are you just there to, to talk about your week, possibly gossip, have a bit of a whinge about your boss or whatever, eat some food, high five, watch a show and be cool? What's the point? That's the, what's the purpose there? When Christians come together, yes, we should party how your week's been, is awesome, but at the same time, what is God doing in your life? What is there to celebrate? What is there to give honour where honour is due? We are to keep our focus and our fixation on Christ pioneer and perfecter of faith, our faith. What is the purpose of your coming to church? What is the purpose of you going to work? What is the purpose of the party? Is it just to hang out with your friends? That's nice, but it's not the real purpose. It's the benefit of the purpose, but it's not the real purpose. Why do you come to church? Because the coffee's great, because we've now got VIP seating. Because finally... I'm not going to force you to sit right next to the person you didn't come to sit next to. Why do you come to church? Why do you engage with the body of Christ? Why? Because the Bible says there's a bride and he's making it perfect and he's coming for the beauty of it and that it takes many shapes, forms, and colours, that it is a beautiful mosaic of God's image and we're all a part of that. But we lose focus of the purpose and next minute we're proposing to the wrong person at the wrong party and it's offensive and we're selling ourselves short and we're celebrating something we shouldn't celebrate and we're normalising sin and we're normalising slavery in our life and we're putting the shackles back on willfully and then we wonder to ourselves why we don't have access to freedom Because we keep dancing in our sin and we keep dancing in our chains and we don't want to let go of the past to inherit the future. We don't believe we're a new creation anymore. We don't believe that we're born again anymore. We're but a political arm of some evangelical movement trying to get conservatives into government. I haven't come here. I'm not coming here to get the conservatives into government. I've come to get Jesus into hearts. You should come to get Jesus into homes. That should be our passion. That should be what drives us. That should be our purpose. Not votes. We're in the battle of hearts and minds, and there's too many Christians without the extra oil. Can I ask you, as we go back into worship today, as we we give God some time, can we begin to party with purpose right now? Because our world is hurting, our world is divided, it is divisive, and it doesn't have the answers, but we know the answers, and the answers are in Jesus. The answers are the gospel. But if we don't, then who? It's been a long time since the sentiment, send me and I will go, has been echoed in a generation. Lord, send me and I'll go. Because it's not about me. It's not about me being perceived as perfect. It's not about me inheriting my legacy now. It's not me having the cake and eat it as well. Send me, I'll go. Willfully lay my life down for the extension of your kingdom. As we get up and as we worship today, as a church, at home, online, here in the building, can we say, you know what? Right now, the church is in the season of reclaiming its true purpose. It's in the season of reclaiming why we party, why we celebrate. And in the presence of God, as we do that right now, Let's begin to believe that he is transforming not only us from the inside out, but our city, our province, our nation, that the church globally is alive and it's growing and spreading like an ever spreading rock of salvation. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.